That is great. So if the kids can say amen today in church. All right, there you go. Hey, where's McKenna? McKenna, story, are you here? Are you there? Hey, there you are. Come on up. Come on down. All right. Hey, this is McKenna, and she was baptized about three weeks ago. Is that right? Three weeks ago. I don't know if you got a chance to see that happen, but it's just awesome. Hey, how are you? Okay, so I, what, what our, my custom is, is I'd like to give those people who've just been baptized a Bible to kind of let you know that we are with you, and it's a cool one too, it's pink and everything. Um, but we hope you don't stop at the outside. It's pretty on the outside, but the good stuff is on the inside. See, it's got your name and everything right there. But I want you to know something, okay? You are not alone. Good? And I also want you to know something else, that baptism is it's just the beginning, all right? Because you've got a whole life ahead of you. And I want you to know God has called on you. And I told you this when this happened. God's going to do some good things with you, amazing things. I think world-changing things. And I want you to know that whenever you start going there, when you start heading in that direction, if you need me, you let me know. Because you've got a whole family of people who are praying for you. Cool? Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for McKenna. Thanks for her decision to follow you and to give her life to you. Thank you for her sweet mama. Thank you for her aunt. Thank you for her entire family. The ones who've been praying for this moment. The ones who've been uh, just kind of waiting for you to kind of lead that whole family in this direction. And I pray that you would just pour your spirit onto McKenna right now so that she can do amazing things in the name of Jesus. Lord, you've called her out just as you're calling us out too. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hey, take this with you. Do what? <laughs> She's mine now? Okay. I touched her last. Okay, good. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go to lunch later. That's, that, that's fine. I'll tell you, this is a good day. This is a good day. Um, we just got back from spending a couple of days in uh, the Lake Buchanan area. What is that area called, anyway? It's just, it's, Lan- it's not Lano. It's Burnett, Burnett over there. That's a very big lake out there, uh, and I tell you, every, this has been an elders retreat. It was an elders retreat, and we have been kind of working our way to try to go, and every, everything was trying to keep us from going this week. You know, people are trying to keep us from going, situations, everybody thought it was going to be, you know, flooding, and as it was just, what, six days ago. Uh, but we did it, and I tell you, it was good. In fact, I think they're watching right now. So if you're watching, hello, they should be some. The ones who are still there are streaming this uh, from their 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 little room there. Uh, I tell you, you've got some great leaders. I'm just going to tell you, these are some good men and women, the people who absolutely love this church family. And you know what I love even more is that they love being together. I will tell you, it is not all that common for leaders of a church to really like to be together. They'll lead together, but it's not necessarily that they like each other. These people love one another. Man, you're lucky. I don't even know if you, I don't know, if you know that or not. But God has blessed you with many good things, and one of those is good leaders. And I believe that He has some great plans in store for this family. Some good things are in store. Let's pray as we begin our sermon today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all those who are here. Thank you for the ones who participated in helping us 
to center our minds in worship for the communion moment, for the offering moment, the scripture and the prayer and the singing and the children participating. Thank you for that. Lord, this is a, this is a family here. And you've got some good things in store. I pray that you would help us to hear today. Lord, speak through me. I pray that you would just take me out of it and that your word would be loud and clear. Help us to not leave here today the same. Lord, help us to not leave here as if this is yet just another thing to do. I pray that we would leave here with a decision on our hearts, with a direction in our, in our mind that we would leave here with a word in our mouth for those who need to hear it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to Judges chapter 6, if you would. Today we are going to continue our look at unlikely heroes. Now allow me to set the scene for you, if you don't mind, for our text reading today. We're going to really be in the text, and I'm sorry I don't have any nice pictures or any you know, funny pictures on screen. It's just the text. Because I think the story is exciting enough on its own. <laughs> doesn't really need a lot of other things. This is an interesting story. So let me set it up. Israel had just settled into their promised land. It's now been home for generations of people. They've been there for a long time, maybe a couple of centuries. Joshua's death has left Israel to work on their own, to try to get along on their own as a new nation each tribe has gone into their territory they've begun a life for themselves and at this point we begin to see a pattern emerge now i don't know how many times you've read judges but you'll see there's a pattern and it's and it's kind of it's a little sad i'll be honest with you it's a little sad so here it is this is this is the pattern israel they experience um, god's blessing and there's not very much conflict. Things are great. Uh, <clears throat> everybody starts to kind of have fun, let their guard down. They kind of live it up a little bit. They become uh, complacent a little bit, uh, excessive, gluttonous a little bit. They begin to enjoy life, the land, and keep this in mind, they begin to enjoy the culture of the people that they were supposed to have driven out. In fact, they start to really fit into the culture because of God's blessings. God, He's great, and He just gives because God is a giver. He's given His Son. Why would He hold anything else back? Because He loves His people. He's been waiting for them to get to this moment. So He, he overwhelms them with blessing. But they begin to not be continually thankful and gracious. They start to get a little complacent. And then they start to adopt some of the religious practices of the land where they're living. And I would say it's probably an understatement to say that this lifestyle led them away from God. And the further away they got from God, the worse things became. The lifestyle started opening themselves up to evil things from the outside. Foreign nations and peoples would begin to dominate them and overwhelm them and oppress them. Sometimes they would even enslave them. And then the people would suddenly see the error of their ways and then finally they would cry out to God. And God would answer them by sending them a savior, um, uh, someone who was a, a judge, someone who was going to be the new leader 
of their country. Now, this person would typically lead them to freedom, and then they would have peace again, and then the cycle and the pattern started all over. Now, we could have a whole sermon about that, because that, how many of that is you? <laughs> how many of that is us? That, that, that pattern, we've experienced that pattern in our life, haven't we? But this is where Israel was, was, and this is one of those times for Israel. They've already had a few judges already. They've had um, Ehud, they've had Othniel, they've had Deborah in Barak. A few iterations already of this pattern. Judges have come, they've, they've gone, and now they've just, they're kind of coming out of this relatively long period of peace, wealth, um, excess, I would say. But instead of drawing closer to God, what do they do? They start wandering away from him. And I'm going to oversimplify this statement. The farther you wander from the light, the darker things become. I know it's a little bit, I know it's hard to understand that. <laughs> it's oversimplification. The farther you get away from the light, the darker things become. And by the time Gideon shows up in Scripture, it is dark many ways probably more dark in fact if you go through judges this is not the point of my sermon but if you go through judges you'll start seeing the people get worse and worse and the judges become less and less moral and honorable i mean you start off with othniel the son-in-law of caleb i know caleb was the guy who said i'll take that mountain and othniel says i'm going to do it too and it's great and then all of a sudden you have samson womanizer awful awful human being he's god's chosen and he's going to do what god wants but you have this spread of people who just aren't really it just kind of gets worse and worse because the people are getting worse and worse and that's what happens whenever you've got mixed loyalties when you're trying to serve multiple gods but we don't serve multiple gods today do we let's begin reading in verse 1 of josh of judges chapter 6 the israelites did evil in the eyes of the lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the midianites because of the power of midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Okay, so Israel, God's people, they're in the promised land, but they're living in fear. From our conversation that we've had a couple, past couple of months, I need to remember this. When we fail to pass along faith, our faith in God to our children and to the next generation, we are pushing them to a life that is incomplete and filled with fear and darkness. Remember this. If we fail to pass on our faith to our children, they are going to live an incomplete, dark, and fearful life. I, that is, I don't know how, many, how much clearer I can get. And it's a little scary to think that our responsibility 
is, is larger than we might have assumed it was. Faith to the next generation is key. And Israel had not done that. Because when it's dark, we tend to get lost. And sometimes we need help finding our way home. So what does God do? He, he kind of gives them over to people who will help them realize they are lost. Gives them over to the Midianites. Remember Midian? Midian is where Moses went whenever he found, uh, after he killed the Egyptian, he ran away from Egypt and he finds his wife there in Midian. In fact, his father-in-law, Jethro, is a priest of Midian. But this is several hundred years later. Midian's located kind of in the south part of Jordan, northwestern side of Saudi Arabia. That's kind of where these are. And these are uh, nomadic people. They like to just travel and kind of go in thousands and thousands of groups. And they would move across the lands in herds and groups. They'd just strip the land of whatever was there, whatever they needed to survive. And then they'd move on to the next land. They knew exactly where to go. They knew when to go when things were the best. And they would just take everything that they wanted. In fact, people, there's so many of them. Hundreds of thousands of them, the sheer numbers would make these people in Israel melt in fear. Now, remember last week when we talked about Rahab? How many of you have said Rahab all week? Okay, it's okay if you're saying Rahab. Okay, just keep working on it. Um, Remember what Rahab said? She said, all the people in Jericho and the people in Canaan's hearts are melting in fear of you, God's people. And here we have just a couple hundred years later, a little over 200, and now Israel, they're melting in fear. What has happened? (laughs) What has happened? Faith has been replaced by fear, gluttony, excess. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. I don't know if he said it that way, but I hear it that way. You know, one would think that as soon as you experience one season of a horde of people stealing all of the things you've worked so hard for, that you would immediately reassess your life choices. It's like after the first arrest, you'd think, maybe I shouldn't get arrested anymore. After that first season where you're at death's door you'd think maybe something's not right. But no. What does the text say? It says they were living like this for seven years. (laughs) Seven years. Which means it took them seven years to cry out to the Lord for help. And the text says whenever the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, He sent them a prophet. When they cried out, He answered them. They'd been living so far from God that this prophet had to remind them, by the way, I'm the Lord your God. Do you remember me at all? It's only been 200 years, but they weren't. You know, he's saying you don't need to be eking out your living in clefts and caves. You were meant for more than that. 
Once the children of Israel cried out, he answered. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What a greeting. Especially for a man who is threshing wheat in a secret wine press. I don't know if you know what wine presses look like. Some range from this, this big right here. Some are a little bit longer, maybe from here to the end of this. But you do not really thresh wheat in a wine press. It will take you forever. <laughs> I mean, to get that much flour for your family, you need, some, you need space. They called it the threshing floor back then. It was a very wide space. So, so Gideon is doing this in a wine press, being secret. This is what he's been reduced to. And this is where the angel of the Lord finds Gideon, working really hard for just a little bit of payback, kind of like a crawfish boil, if you know what I'm talking about. I work really hard for that little piece of something, and I don't have much to show for it. <laughs> it's totally a, a rabbit trail. Sorry about that. Um, You know what I'm talking about. He's working really hard, and he's just getting a little bit of flour at any given moment here. Gideon was the epitome of Israel in this moment. This is what the story's saying, the epitome. And and, in fact, his father was so steeped in their culture of the land that that he was kind of the caretaker of the the village temple to to Baal and Ashtoreth, the, the fertility gods. Gideon's father was the caretaker of the altars to the foreign gods. They were never meant to live like this. But God meets him where they are. He meets him right there where he is. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Right from the the very beginning, God is calling Gideon out, even if Gideon didn't feel qualified for this task. The angel of the Lord is calling him out. And remember, when God calls you to whatever he's calling you to, a task, anything he's qualifying you for that task when he calls you to it he's qualifying you for it and here right here he tells Gideon his his future he tells him his vision for him his purpose and he's no small talk here he's getting right to the point so so how does Gideon respond interesting this is what he says pardon me my lord Gideon replied but if the lord is with us why has all this happened to us Where are all his wonders that our ancestor told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. How many times do we do that? Pardon me. If God is with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening around us? Now at this point, it would have been perfectly appropriate for the angel of the Lord to slap Gideon upside the head. Or to have some smart aleck reply. He could have said, you know, Gideon, everything happens for a reason. And this reason is because you Israelites are dumb. And you have done really bad things. That's why this is happening. He didn't say that. He didn't have time for that. Angel of the Lord has a job to do. He's going to rescue his people, and he's using Gideon to do that. He's qualified Gideon to do it, even though Gideon doesn't feel like it. And he's getting right to it. God had something to be done. And the Lord said to him, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you in the strength that you have? 
God called Gideon to something he knew he was qualified to do. Whether Gideon believed it or not about himself. And the strength you have. How did Gideon respond? Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. If you remember, Manasseh is the half-tribe. It's a half-tribe. Joseph's inheritance was split between his two sons, and Manasseh, the oldest, got the lesser blessing. So Manasseh is probably one of the least clans in the entire nation of Israel, and Gideon was the youngest in his family, of, and, and his clan was the, was the least clan in the clan of Manasseh. Can't really get any lower than that. Which brings me to think, circumstances sometimes seek to keep us from realizing our godly potential. Should circumstances really define our future? Where we are, what happens to us, whether or not people like us or pass over us for success or speak poorly of us whether we're rich or poor, should circumstances seek to dictate what our potential really is in God? No. Our surroundings have a very different vision for our future than God does. Who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe our circumstances? Are we going to believe our place? Or are we going to believe God's vision for us? Gideon was so steeped in his culture that, and, and, and fear that all he had were excuses by this point. So the Lord told him very plainly, I love this, I will be with you. Gideon was being called out and the strength of God, hear this, the strength of God always accompanies the calling of God. If God calls you, He's going to give you the strength to do it. The calling of God is accompanied by the strength of God. But Gideon was still afraid, and he seemed to be more skeptical than he was believing and trusting. So what does he do? What, what, what do we do when we're really trying to figure out what God wants for us? Eight ball, right? Magic eight ball. Should I? Too soon to tell. Okay. Here's what he says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Now, I've read this text hundreds of times in my life, hundreds of times. And the more I get through this text, the older I get, the more I really dislike this guy, Gideon. I think he reminds me of myself. I can understand his reluctance. How many times have you felt called towards something or instead of running to it, grabbing a hold of it, we think, eh, maybe, maybe it's, that's good to do. Maybe that's really not me. Feel, I, maybe I'm just, maybe it's the lunch that's in here and that's what's given me this feeling. Have you ever felt called and just not really fully engaged Thinking, I'm not the one to do that. I'm not really qualified to do it. I don't have the education. I don't have the social skills. I don't have the knowledge of the scriptures. God would never want me to do that. I'm barely making ends meet as it is. I barely have enough time for myself as it is. I'm just so busy. 
but we still feel the tug. We still feel that urge. We feel called toward that person or toward that decision, but instead of saying yes, we kind of tend to look for a way out, don't we? Like Gideon did. If this is really what you want me to do, God, then just show me a sign. Give me something to let me see clearly. And in Gideon's case, what I love is he does. Gideon, what he does is he makes this meal. He makes a whole goat, a lot of soup, and a huge amount of bread. I mean, it was like a a feast here. And he puts it on this rock, and what happens next is really interesting. Gideon is probably expecting, okay, good, we'll just have a meal, and he'll forget all about this whole, um, I want you to help my people nonsense. We'll just have a nice meal, and it'll be done. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Gideon's eyes, I'm sure, got really wide. He fell and he said, oh no, don't kill me. I've seen the angel of the Lord. Because remember in the old days, if you see the face of God, you're you're not going to live. You realize at that moment, this is God. I, I guess this is serious. God had a job to do, folks. He doesn't have time for you to just keep going back and back. But you know what? He does. He's patient. And he works with Gideon. He's working with you too. He's got a job for you to do. When it's very clear what God wants us to do, how do we respond to that? Do we slowly move? Do we reluctantly say yes? Do we run forward and embrace it with everything we have? Or do we believe what our fear is telling us? I mean, have we become accustomed to a life in the dark or in the twilight with barely enough time in our day, barely enough energy to get through, barely enough confidence to make it to the end of the day? God says, I will be with you. You know, when God calls you out, he's never calling us to go alone. Now, we may not be surrounded by people. But I will tell you that the calling of God always comes with the presence of God. Always. God's first command to Gideon wasn't to gather an army. It was to get rid of the gods that were around him. Get rid of them. So he tore down the Baals to Ashtoreth, to, to the temple to, to Baal altars. He, this, the, the Israelite men in the village wanted to kill him. But fear continued in Gideon for some reason. And Gideon asks for another sign. Another one. So he lays out a fleece. Make the fleece wet and the ground dry. It happens. Oh, that could have been something different. Oh, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And it happens. And Gideon says, okay, I'm ready. God does it. Talk about patience. And now you know the rest of the story. You know how Gideon gets his 300 men. They surround the camp of the Midianites. Blows the shofar, this big horn. And he calls men to his side. You remember, it started out with 32,000. Then he said, dismiss all the ones who were afraid because we don't want fear here. Went down to 10,000. And then he has one more cut, takes them into 300 people. God wanted to show his people what it was, what it meant to save his people with the least amount of men by a man that very few thought could actually accomplish this. So Gideon gathers his men surrounds the camp they're going to sleep for the night it's around probably 10 or so 
blows the shofar, the torches are broken, I mean the clay pots are broken, the torches are lit, and they think for every one of these torches there's probably a hundred men right behind them, and you know what happens next. Everyone goes crazy and they start running away and killing one another until Gideon triumphs. Gideon, an ordinary man, the least in his family, from the least tribe in Israel, has been qualified by God to lead a nation. An ordinary man living under the radar whenever God called to him. He was barely making ends meet. Now I know some of you can relate to this. Now wherever you are right now, whatever you think of yourself, I want you to know God is calling you out. Yes, you may feel unqualified, but His call qualifies you. He will use you. He will use your strength. But remember, when He calls, His strength always accompanies it. His peace will be with you. How are we going to respond to that? Because I think He's calling you to follow Him. I don't care how old you are. I, I say that a lot. How young you are. He's calling you out. Be the man you're supposed to be. Be the woman you're supposed to be. It's okay if you're young. Man, be bold. Make the right choices. People are going to do what y'all do. If you do. If you choose well, they're going to choose well. You'll have people that will follow you. If you're older, people will follow you. They want to hear your wisdom. Men, put aside whatever is keeping you from being called and, and following God. Put it all away. Put away the childishness. It's time to go and to say yes to what God has for you. Because He's calling you out. Whatever those gods are in your life, tear them down. Tear them down. When you decide to answer God, run to Him. Don't eke a living. Don't barely go. Run to Him. You don't have to lay out a fleece. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. Just say yes. Trust Him. I'm continually inspired by you and by your leaders here because what I see in those leaders, especially this last weekend, is that these are ordinary men and women. Husbands, wives who just wanted to do what's right. And they, they just answered the call and they said yes to God. God has called ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And He's going to do the same with you if he hasn't already. What could God do with you? If you said yes with your whole heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. If you feel unqualified, let God qualify you. It's okay. (laughs) You think I felt qualified? We'll talk later about that. God will do something with you if you let him. Let him use you. Let's sing. How will you respond? I'll be right out here if you need prayer. Your patience inside.